Let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get started then this morning. Um, it is uh, a real honor for me to get to teach uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I actually love this chapter very much. Haha, uh-huh. wasn't that funny? Um, chapter 12, it's interesting because in, in chapter 12 of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks a lot about, he's speaking about the gifts, but at the very end of, of that chapter, he says uh, that, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but he says, uh, I, would, I would rather that you pursue love. So 1 Corinthians 13, uh, love is without a doubt the catalyst to our relationship to the Lord and to our relationships with one another. Uh, this is essential to understand as it directly relates to every relationship. The body of Christ consists of all Christians. Fortunately, or unfortunately for some, it is not an option that we not only live in unity as a, as a body, a family, but that we also live in harmony, loving one another in such a manner that it, it confounds the world. Uh, the world does not understand this kind of love. I find it interesting in Scripture that my attitude or love for my fellow believer or family member is not dependent upon anyone else, not him, not her, but it all starts right here with me. The buck stops here. The buck stops with us. Does that make sense? As Christians, we often put up barriers, walls to protect ourselves from being hurt or disappointed in in one another, not willing to take the risk of building a relationship for fear of rejection of one kind or another. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He also said, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Jesus also said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. When asked, Who is my neighbor? Jesus responded with the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I know you all are very familiar with that with that parable, but even the priest, supposedly the godly one, passed on for his, own, for his own selfish reasons. We don't know exactly why. Perhaps he was afraid to take the risk of getting involved, or perhaps uh, he thought he was too good to involve himself. Whatever his reasoning was, he acted in a selfish, unloving manner, and he walked on by, uh, he walked on by, on the other side of the road, to avoid involvement. Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive. Seven times, and I think, I think Peter actually thought that was a pretty good number, you know, that he had kind of uh, exceeded the expectations. And Jesus responded, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Then he told the parable of the master who forgave his servant of a tremendous debt But that same servant turned around and acted in a manner which demonstrated his lack of understanding of the mercy, compassion shown him. Too often, as friends, as family, as parents or spouses, uh, we fall into the same ditch. The oneness of the body of Christ is important. And I think it's interesting because theologically, we have, we as, as believers, we have a good a good foundation, a good idea of 
of the body of Christ theologically. But in a practical sense, too often we, we practice like uh, we're atheists. Um, one individualist says, they don't need me, while the other says, I don't need them. Both attitudes are wrong because God made all of us interrelated and made in his own image. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27 is clear that the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you because they are interrelated, important to the overall function of the body. I know growing up, um, I had uh, very much the idea that I didn't need anyone, um, and that's not true. And so I, I get accused of being the love elder, but the truth is, is that I'm growing into it. Um, we, we really need to take to heart 1 Corinthians 13. I find it to be a, a, a good thermometer in my own life. As you look at, at different circumstances that happen throughout the day, um, for example, the, the first, love is patient. Am I, am I actually, when I recognize that I'm not being patient, it immediately uh, points me back to the fact that I am not choosing to love, and we'll get into that. Uh, the, the less noticeable parts, like our internal organs, they, when you take them out, they don't look so beautiful. Um, they seem to be weaker than much of the rest of the body in appearance and in beauty, but they are vital to the, the healthy function of the body. The bottom line is, in the body of Christ, if one person suffers, we all suffer. If, if uh, one person is honored, we all get to be honored with them. Um, only that sort of mutual love and concern can prevent or heal division and preserve unity. Paul reminded the Corinthians that they should not despise one another. Rivalry, competition was out of the question, unless, there's a disclaimer here, unless it's to outdo one another in love, right? Um, they were not to be envious, have malice, no inferiority, no superiority, but they were to have an attitude of love, such as patient, kind, etc. The only ones who can love like that and can be unified in such a manner are we Christians, the body of Christ. See, making a, making a break for it. Paul reminded them that individually and collectively, they were one in him and should be one, unified with, with each other. The Corinthian Christians were selfish, self-designing, self-willed, self-motivated, and certainly were doing everything to promote their own interests. Apparently, uh, they were all doing their own thing for their own good with little regard for others. Self-giving love is unfortunately uh, as rare in our Christian community and, and families as it was in Corinth. Um, especially the, the more we uh, live in, this, in the pop culture that we're in right now, we see it less and less all the time. And it's, it has definitely permeated our churches as well, this, this selfishness. Um, it is not, uh, love is, is above all a sacrifice of self for the sake of others, even for those who may not care at all for us or may even hate us. It's not based on feeling, 
Rather, it, it is an act of w the will, and that's important for us to uh, remember. It is an act of our will, which always results in intentional acts of self-giving, of sacrifice. Love is the willing, joyful desire to put the interest, interests of others above our own. And a key passage is, is John 13, 34, and 35. Love is an absolute in the life of a Christian. Uh, that you love one another, even if, uh, Jesus said it this way. He said, um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And so he's, he's saying uh, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, as I have loved you, that is how you are to love one another. Does that make sense? So when we look at how Jesus loves us, he gave himself completely for us, right? Philippians 2 also gives uh, clearly Jesus' attitude. And um, there is no excuse for us not to love. We do not have to produce love. We only, we only must share the love we have been given. Um, we're commanded by God to love one another. First, Thess I'm not going to read these, but uh, I'll give you the reference. First uh, Thessalonians 4.9. Uh, we are also commanded to pursue love, 1 Corinthians 14.1, to put on love, Colossians 3.14, to increase and abound in love, 1 Thessalonians 3.12 and Philippians 1.9, to be sincere in love, 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, to be unified in love, Philippians 2.2, and to be fervent in love, 1 Peter 4.8, and to stimulate one another in love, uh, Hebrews 10, 24. Uh, John MacArthur says the following is imperative. We are commanded, number one, we are commanded to love. Number two, love is already possessed by Christians. Number three, love is the norm of Christian living. Number four, love is the work of the Spirit. And number five, love must be practiced to be genuine. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. And it reads like this in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I don't think that it's uh, a coincidence that, uh, that God began with love and ends in self-control. Um, it, it makes sense, a lot of sense to me. Um, but it says here, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Isn't it interesting that, that a lot of the, the actual uh, components of the fruit of the Spirit are also spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13 as, as genuine love? There are a couple things that I'd like for us to remember as, as we go through this study. Love always wins, and I, I hope that you, you catch this. It may take time, uh, but it must be intentional. Love always wins. And then love is a choice. My actions are a direct reflection of what's in my heart. And that's why I, I mentioned earlier about it being a thermometer for me, because my actions definitely bear out what's actually in my heart. Out of, out of the abundance of the heart, man speaks. So what does it mean to love? Initially, uh, Paul tells you what it is not 
like to love. He says, uh, first of all, he says, eloquence without love is nothing. So we find, we find here that, that Paul imagines himself to be able to speak with the greatest possible eloquence. Um, he's simply saying here that he, if, if he were to have the skill and eloquence to speak as the greatest men or even articulate with angelic eloquence, whatever that is, without love, it would be an ear-splitting gong or the clanging of a cymbal. I don't know if you... Uh, have been around uh, a cymbal, um, but uh, it can be pretty noisy. We have one. Um, my older brothers, uh, they're a good bit older than me, and they put me into a 55-gallon drum uh, and then uh, put the top on and then proceeded to bang on it. And I don't know if you've ever that's ever happened to you, but, I mean, it's, it, it, it about drove me mad. Uh, I was just little, but it, I, I almost went crazy. Um, and so that's the picture that I have of a noise as the clang, uh, clanging of a gong or a cymbal. So Paul's saying here that, that uh, it's just a bunch of noise. Apart from love, it's just a bunch of noise. And the most profound truths spoken in the most profound fashion fall short if they uh, are not spoken in love. He says here that apart from love, even one who speaks the truth with supernatural eloquence is just a lot of noise, just a bunch of noise. Then he goes on and he says, uh, talks about prophecy without love. And he, the prophet uh, proclaims God's truth so that the hearers can clearly understand it. And so the power behind what we say and do is based on our motive. If our motive is self-interest or praise, promotion, or advantage of any sort, our influence for the Lord will be weakened to that extent, no matter how theologically correct, persuasive, and relevant our words are, or how helpful our service seems superficially to be. Without the motivation of love, in God's sight, we are only causing a bunch of commotion, We're just making a, a bunch of noise. An exception to that would would be like while Paul was in prison when he was in under house arrest. <coughs> excuse me. There were apparently uh, some some men who preached the gospel with the intent of causing Paul more grief, and uh, Paul's response was, and I'm going to paraphrase: uh, "I really don't care about me. Uh, their motivation is wrong, but at least the gospel is being preached." Uh, he was concerned that, that uh, the gospel was being proclaimed. Then he goes on and he says, knowledge without love. So adding all knowledge wouldn't help. One could comprehend all the observable, knowable facts of the universe, be virtually omniscient, uh, all-knowing, right? Um, and still be nothing without love. John MacArthur uh, says this, he says, if all of that would amount to nothing without love, how much less do our very limited intellectual accomplishments, including biblical and theological knowledge and insights, amount to without love? They are less than nothing. That sort of knowledge without love is worse than mere ignorance. It produces spiritual pride, condescension, and arrogance. Spiritual knowledge is good, beautiful, and fruitful, 
in the Lord's work when it is held in humility and ministered in love. But it is ugly and unproductive when love is missing. Now, Paul is not depreciating knowledge here, especially knowledge of God's word. But what he is clearly saying is that if love is not in the forefront, it's pointless. It's destructive. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray that your love may still more... Well, I'm sorry. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So again, the motivation of, our, our, of gaining in knowledge is because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It's because I love him, and I want to get to know him more and more, and I want to be like him. Um, then he goes on, he says, um, benevolence without love is meaningless. You get, the word give here in the Greek means to dole out in small quantities, and it signifies a long-term systematic program of giving all of one's possessions away. So he's saying it wouldn't matter how many lives were saved from poverty, apart from love, it's meaningless, if that's my motivation. Then uh, he goes on and he says uh, that martyrdom without love, um, it doesn't matter to what extent a person may suffer because of his service or in test or and testimony. It has no spiritual gain if his work and witness are not ministered in love. So let me let me just remind us again: love always has to be in the forefront. You you'll probably get tired of hearing me say that, but uh, it's it's crucial. Love must be in the forefront. Um, truth apart from love. How valuable is that? Scripture says it's not very valuable. Love always has to be in the forefront. So Paul is saying that you you could go so far as to even become a martyr. You could even martyr yourself, but without love, it's meaningless. So now he now he moves on to what love is, and uh, the usage in the Greek translation is different from English translations as English includes several adjectives in describing love. The Greek uh, forms all of, all of those properties with verbs. For example, they do not focus on what love is so much as they focus on what love does and does not do. Love is active, not abstract or passive. Love is fully love only when it acts. 1 John 3.18 uh, says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It gives a, the, the Greek again is a, it gives a sense of uh, to have a great affection or care for or loyalty towards. For example, love does not simply feel patient, it practices patience. It doesn't simply have kind feelings, it does kind things. Does that make sense? All of these must be applied directly to all of our relationships. So here he begins with, um, I have them. I number them. You don't have to number them, but uh, it helps me to remember them. Uh, number one is love is patient, never retaliates. Um, 
the word is common in the New Testament, and, it, and it's used uh, most exclusively of being patient with people rather than with circumstances. Uh, love's patience is the ability to be inconvenienced by a person over and over and over again, and yet not get, up, get upset or, or angry. Um, I'm going to do a little exercise uh, in, in just a little bit with that, because I'd like for us to to actually think of it in practical terms. In the Greek culture, self-sacrificing love and non-avenging patience were considered weaknesses, uh, unworthy of the noble man or woman. Aristotle, for example, taught that the great Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate injury or, or insult and to strike back in retaliation for the slightest offense. Vengeance was a virtue. Pop culture has always tended to make heroes of those who fight back, um, who stand up for their welfare and rights above all else. I, I found a, an interesting story uh, a long time ago. I thought it was, it was uh, really neat. One of Abraham Lincoln's earliest political enemies was Edwin M. Stanton. I don't know if you recall who he was. He, was call, he, he would call Lincoln a low, cunning clown and uh, the original gorilla. How would you like that? Um, it was ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla, he would say, when they could just find one easily in Springfield, Illinois. Um, Lincoln never responded. He, uh, and when as president, he needed a secretary of war, and guess who he chose? Stanton. And uh, when his friends asked him why, uh, Lincoln replied, because he is the best man. Years later, as, as, the, as uh, Lincoln was uh, laying in, in state after he was uh, executed, shot, um, Stanton looked in the, into the coffin and he said through uh, tears, he said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. He actually missed the real ruler of all men, right? Jesus Christ. But his animosity was, was finally broken by Lincoln's long-suffering, non-retaliatory spirit. Patient love won out. So what I'd like for us to do, I'd like for you to, and, and we'll only do a couple, but I'd like for you to give me an example of uh, what it would look like if, if love is patient in the sense that it can be inconvenienced over and over again and not get upset or angry. Give me an example. Give us an example of how you could recognize that you are not choosing to love by not being patient. What would be a good example of not being patient, of not being loving? Come on, help me out. It can be hypothetical. We're not going to hold you to it. Yeah, Emily. <laughs> road rage. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, that's yeah. a really simple one. No, no, that's a good one. That's good. Um, so how would patience look in that in that sense? I mean, if you're trying your best to actually follow like truth and stuff like that, um, which gives people space, like not getting flustered, just you're practicing like discernment and just being reasonable and you're just letting it go. Because also, if you let that affect you for the whole day, then you take it out on people who don't deserve it, because in certain circumstances, if that would make you irritable or mad for the rest of the day, then that's going to carry over into other parts of your life where just throughout the whole day, it consumes you. 
Okay. So what would be what would be uh, uh, an example of of choosing to be patient, choosing to love by being patient uh, with a you could even use the same example. What would be a another way that we would respond if we were actually choosing to love by being patient? Come on. Okay. Yes, ma'am. That may, that may make him worse. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, you know, for me, the and again, it's a choice, right, Jerry? Mm-hmm. You're choosing to, to love. Um, you know, um, every, all, each of us have, have areas that we struggle with. And uh, unfortunately, um, the area that, that I probably struggle with the, the most is in the area of patience. And not so much uh, impatience with others as much as with my own self. But uh, in in uh, doing counseling counseling in this couple, and and I mentioned that to them, and and they they said, uh, but we've never we've never seen that in you. And I said, but I know it's true. Um, you know, we have to. It's the areas that we have to really trust the Lord in. And uh, again, uh, I don't think we can stress enough. It's not like we uh there's a uh, little well, you see the the angel on the good angel on one side and the the devil <laughs> bad angel on the other side it's not the way it works but we do have a battle with the flesh right with the the flesh and the spirit and uh whoever you if you want to use the metaphor of two dogs right if you have two dogs you feed one you don't feed the other which one's the stronger Come on, the one you feed, right? And it's the same, same is true between the flesh and the spirit. If I'm feeding the flesh, the flesh is going to be predominant. If I feed the spirit, the spirit's going to be predominant. And so, uh, again, I, I look at it for my own life. When I am being, being impatient, uh, it quickly shows me that I'm not in the spirit. And it, I know that, that that sounds pretty strong, but it's the truth, right? Because the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You know, I mean, it, um, and so when we're, we need to be quick to, what can I do about it? Let's say, I, let's say that I'm not exercising love. What can I do about it? What do I do? Help me. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, 
You think he cares? Yes. Of course he does. And so if, if God the Holy Spirit lives within me, who better to give me the power to do what, what would please him than God himself? Doesn't that make sense? Um, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to uh, look, at, look at God as being intangible, uh, but he, he wants an intimate relationship with us. And he wants us to, to be able to please him. He wants us to... Did you have something, Dan? I was just going to say that if you have a servant's heart, you kind of take yourself out of the picture. You know, that uh, being selfish. Mm-hmm. But if you have a servant's heart, you're going to go the extra mile. And when you do that, when you love on people, it comes back. Absolutely. And that, and that is when we get in trouble, isn't it? When it becomes about me, when I take myself too seriously. Any other, any other thoughts? These, the, number two is, is love is kind. And uh, being kind is, is kind of the, the counterpart of being patient. Uh, just as patient will take anything from, from others, kindness will give anything to others, even... Uh, his enemies. Um, to be kind, if you want a definition, it means to be useful, serving, and gracious. It's not only so; it not only feels generous; it is generous. Um, Paul wrote in, in uh, to Titus in uh, Titus chapter three, verses four through six. He said, "But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us." not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out among us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. To his disciples, Jesus said, and J.J. quoted this this morning, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Matthew 11.30, the word he used for easy is the, the same one that, that's translated kind in uh, 1 Corinthians 13.4. I think that's interesting. In his love for those who belong to him, Jesus makes his yoke kind or, or mild. He makes sure that what his people are called to bear for him is bearable. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Before, before moving on, one of the things that, that I'm, I'm often reminded of uh, in... We talk, you know how the Apostle Paul always uh, uses terms like this. He says, put off, but then he follows that up by putting on, right? He says, uh, let out, let in. I look at Philippians chapter 4 as, as uh, very similar to that um, because he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and then he says, and in case you didn't catch it the first time, again, I say rejoice. And he tells us to, to take our our needs to the Lord, and to leave, him, leave them there. And he, he says, and God will give you a peace that transcends all human reasoning. But he doesn't stop there. That's where I think that too often we stop there. And then the put on is the following verses where he says, now, now that you've done that, now 
intentionally think about these kinds of things. Right? Does that make sense? And he doesn't give a comprehensive list. Uh, he says these kinds of things. And so when, when I find myself being impatient, I need to confess it as sin. I need to uh, put, throw myself back onto the Lord and, and put on, change how I'm thinking about people or whatever the circumstance may be. The same thing with kindness. Um, for the Corinthians, kindness meant giving up their selfish, jealous, jealous, spiteful, and proud attitudes and adopting the spirit of loving kindness. And that's what Paul was driving at. So what would be a good example of, of how I could recognize that I'm, I'm choosing to love by being kind? Uh, keeping in mind that the, the definition means to be useful, serving, and gracious. You want me to give you a, real, a really silly example? Um, I grew up in a large family. Um, I was one of 14 kids, and I'm one of the younger ones. And so I did a lot of dishes, and I hate doing dishes. Now, we do have a dishwasher now, so that, that's a lot easier. But um, Velma knows that I'm choosing to love her if I get up and, and I just initiate doing dishes. That makes sense? It's not something that, that I would normally do. Um, not proud of that, but I'm just saying it's not, it's not my normal task, right? So uh, I'm saying to her clearly in, in doing that that I love you. Does that make sense? So give me an example. That was a dumb one. Give me an example of, of how you could recognize that you are choosing to love by kindness. Yes, ma'am. Teresa. Did you hear that? Taking, taking a meal uh, to someone who may not even be kind to you. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. Any other example? Yes, sir. Philip? How much the church assists the pastor or just lets him do all the work. Okay. Y'all hear, hear that? He said, uh, let, let pastor do all the work. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, he said not to do that. Um, what would be, so what would be an example of, of uh, not being kind? I guess I just did. Uh, what would be a, an example of, of not, you know, you're choosing not to love by being unkind? Anything come to mind? Uh, could I, could I uh, say something as a, as a counselor? Um, more often than not, with uh, criticism, you know, we talk about constructive criticism. Most criticism is not really very constructive uh, because of the way that we do it. If love is not in the forefront, um, it, it uh, is not very constructive. And um, one of the things that, that I think it's worth mentioning is that most of the time, the recipient of that criticism uh, receives that as rejection. Does that make sense? Um, 
we're not all like that, but many, many times that's true. So love is, is kind. Um, and he goes on, love is not jealous. This is, there's a, this is the first of, of eight negative descriptions of love. Uh, love and jealousy are diametrically opposed. Uh, where one is, the other cannot be. And jealousy takes on, on two forms. The one, the one, the one form we kind of get, it, you know, it's coveting what someone else has, uh, jealous over what someone else has, right? We get that one, right? The, the, uh, the second one is more than, than selfish. It uh, desires evil for someone else. Um, an example of this was the account of the two women who, remember when they came before Solomon? And uh, they both claimed to be the, the mother of the baby. And uh, the, who, was the, who was the true mother? Which one was the true mother? Yeah, she was actually willing to give up, the, give up the child. Whereas the other woman, what was her response? She was willing for the baby to be cut in half, right? So that's uh, a pretty heavy-duty um, definition of jealousy there. Um, when love sees someone who is popular, talented, beautiful, or successful, it's happy for him or her, and never jealous or envious. Um, when the Apostle Paul, again, was uh, in, in prison or house arrest, uh, apparently um, some of the, like we talked about before, some of the guys were uh, apparently trying to outdo Paul for whatever their motives. And uh, they apparently intended to add to his anguish. And uh, what, again, we, I mentioned it already, but what was Paul's response to that? What was his response to their, their uh, incorrect motives? Yes, ma'am. Leah, was that, was that what you're going to say? Okay, yeah. Uh, he was he was far more concerned that the gospel was being preached, right? Uh, even at at his expense. Um, in First Samuel, JJ mentioned mentioned him too. Solomon, uh, um, Jonathan's one of my favorite characters as well. And in in First Samuel, we see the relationship, the love Jonathan Jonathan had for David, his friend. Uh, even though even though David was more popular and certain to be the next king. Um, it did not impact his relationship. In, in, by all rights, Jonathan should have been the next king. So uh, he definitely uh, practiced love by not being jealous, be willingly giving up his rights, not, like, not that he actually had any power over it, but he willingly uh, was uh, favoring, preferring, deferring to David. And uh, he received a blessing because of that. So these are, this is a little bit more difficult. But love, so love is not jealous. What would be an example of choosing to love by not being jealous? And there, again, there are two, there are two di different definitions here. But what would be an example? 
of choosing. The reason I'm doing that is because I want, I, I want, I need to hear it. And I tell people all the time, the greatest thing about what I do is that I get to hear these things and I need to hear these things over and over and over again. And so what I'd like for, for this to do for you is that when, when uh, circumstances come up and you, you find yourself being aggravated or, or irritated, uh, to recognize, oh, wow, I am choosing not to love, which honestly means uh, I'm not in the spirit right now. And, and really, that's the most important thing, right? In my relationship with, with God is right. As my relationship is this way, it impacts my relationship this way. JJ? So what would the flip side be? How, how could you uh, choose to love in that situation and not be jealous? Okay. Does that make sense? What would be, what would be an example of, uh, of the other where we actually are kind of wishing that they'd uh, get their due, you know, that... We would never go to the extreme of actually wishing some a baby to be cut in half. I know that, but what uh, you know, sometimes we're hoping that they. I hope they get it. Yeah. What what would be an example of of that? I yeah. You know, again, I I tend to go to sports, so I'm sorry. But if you don't, if you're not a sports person, but uh, I'm thinking, you know, okay, I'm number six on on a basketball team, right? And uh, I do like my player, uh, my my teammates. So of course I don't want number five to get hurt too badly, but maybe twist his ankle a little bit so that uh, I can get in the game. You know, uh, am I loving him? That means no, right? No, I'm not. So. Yeah, I gave, <laughs> I gave him a little bit, right? <laughs> That's true. So what would be what would be what would love look like there? Okay. Okay, Derek, you're you're a, uh, you're a forward. You're a center forward, but you're on the sidelines. What would love look like? Yeah. You know, if we else if we have a picture, a clear picture of what a team actually is, because we're a team. When you know he talks about us being one body, we're a team. It takes team effort, and you know, being a part of the team, um, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so if if you get to if you get to be in the limelight, I should be incredibly happy for you, because uh, we're a team. We're part of the same body. That makes sense. Any other thoughts before we? Oh yeah, never mind. Uh, thank you for pointing to your watch. Uh, um, we'll come. We'll come back here to uh, love does not brag. Number my number four um, next week. So.
Let me let me uh, close in prayer, and uh, we can take off here. Father God, we thank you that you are an awesome God. We thank you that uh, that you do love us, and that you've given us clear instructions on on how we are to love one another, that we are to prefer one another, and uh, we just thank you that you are worthy of all of our praise and, and our worship, and uh, thank you that uh, that you are faithful, uh, even though uh, oftentimes we are not, and uh, we just thank you for the body that you have uh, placed us in. We thank you for our, our church family, and uh, thank you that we have an opportunity to to love on one another and to represent Jesus well. And uh, we pray for safety as we all go uh, to our respective homes. And uh, we thank you again for all the mothers and uh, those who have uh, taken on the responsibility of, of mothering. We uh, just pray that, uh, that they would uh, be encouraged today. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.